Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Oh, gee. Make some noise! <laughs> On this episode of Inside Boxing Live, we talk to 154-pound champion Jared Hurd. We'll get his thoughts on his win over Arislandi Lara, as well as him calling out Jermel Charlo. Also on the show, we'll talk to heavyweight contender Jarrell Miller. He's got a big fight this weekend at the Barclay Senate. We also have another edition of Tough Takes, and in case you're missing an update on some cryptocurrency. Inside Boxing Live, coming up next. Welcome to another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I'm your host, Dan Canobio. In this episode, we will talk to 154-pound champ Jared Hurd. We'll get his thoughts on his fight with Arislandi Lara, as well as him calling out Jamel Charlo. Uh, he wants that big fight at 154. We'll talk about his uh, unconventional rise uh, to the top here. Wasn't it a really good uh, uh, prospect, or he was good, but he wasn't like a, a touted prospect wasn't an Olympian or anything like that. It's a really interesting interview. We'll talk to him. We'll also talk to three minutes of Jarrell Miller. He was uh, in a, apparently in a very big rush, but we learned a lot of things about Jarrell Miller in those th- in those three minutes. So you're going to want to stick around for that one. Uh, in addition to that, there was a lot of uh, boxing this past weekend. Probably one of the more busy weekends in the sport. It's kind of weird how that all works with boxing. Uh, two weekends ago, we didn't have any boxing at all. No major fights. Uh, he went the whole weekend. Without any, uh, any 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 boxing, and then this weekend, I feel like around the clock, you had fights on all over the place. Uh, we'll start with uh, Carl Frampton. Uh, he picked up a win over Nonito Donaire. He outboxed Donaire. Uh, it was a sold-out fight in Belfast, which just shows you that boxing is just on fire over there, over in Europe. Uh, Frampton was rocked in the 11th, but uh, the he came out on top. Uh, Donaire is about five years past his expiration date, but he still put on a tough fight. And uh, he, like I said, had Frampton rock there in, in the 11th. But this sets up a huge fight down the road, and we'll get to it uh, and in case you missed it with uh, Frampton and maybe Oscar Valdez. Now, Frampton wants it. I know that Valdez wants it. That guy doesn't back down from any fight. So uh, if it gets us that fight, you know, between Frampton and Valdez, all four, uh, that was a great fight. Uh, I'm going to sum up Amir Khan versus uh, Phil Greco for you right here on the podcast. Phil Greco gets into the ring. The fight starts. One punch land. Fight is over. Uh, there it is. Uh, <laughs> Amir Khan wins in a first-round drubbing of Phil Greco. Uh, drew 9,000 fans in Liverpool following a two-year layoff. So people love Amir Khan. Listen, I'm a huge Amir Khan fan. I love uh, this. I like him when he gets into the ring. He always puts on interesting fights. He, you never know what's going to happen in the lead up to the fight. They had that like um, fracas between Khan and Lagreco. We didn't know if it was planned or not. It looked kind of planned, but in terms of fights, like, like Amir Khan will fight everybody, and he's going to look like uh, he's in a really good position right now in his career. Could we see Kell Brook next? Uh, he said he wants to fight Errol Spence. He wants to fight Danny Garcia. Tell you what, Amir Khan is in a great, great spot right now, and he actually, you know, flipped it on uh, Kelbrook. He said, "I'm, you know, I'm actually chasing Kelbrook. You know, Kelbrook isn't chasing me." So it was interesting to see. I know Kelbrook was in the ring after one after that fight. So that's a fight that's been brewing for years now, and maybe we're finally going to see it here in uh, in 2018. A fight that's huge over in England is Amir Khan 
and uh, and Kell Brook. But that was the early portion of Saturday. Uh, then I made, myself made my way over to the Barclays Center. And uh, if you heard anything about this lead-up to fight week here for this triple header, you knew that there was a lot of antics going on. They canceled the media workout at Gleason's Gym because of uh, there were rumors that there was going to be some gang uh, meet up there. You know the and then. You know, the rivals didn't like each other. You know, the Charlos were talking crap about Broner. Broner was calling the Charlos cokeheads. It was just just nonstop, out-of-control antics uh, leading up to the fight week. I was there Saturday night, and right when I walked in the arena, you know, something was different. There was a more tense-feeling uh, atmosphere in the Barclays Center. Tons of cops. Tons of plainclothes cops, tons of detectives, just more security than I've ever uh, remembered there. All because of this Takashi 69. I mean, I, I feel like this dude played it perfectly. Takashi 69 didn't even know he was a rapper until this week, but apparently he is. He's from he's from Brooklyn, and he had a beef with Adrian Broner. But I'll tell you what, I feel like every five seconds I heard the name Takashi 69. It was going all throughout the arena, all throughout fight week. So you know his marketing people did a great job because his name was everywhere. You know, and he wasn't even really involved with the lead up to his fight in any way or shape or form besides beefing. Uh, with Adrian Brunner. But being in the arena that night, it's always fun to be in the Barclays Center. The fans showed up. It was absolutely sold out. You saw the tweet from uh, Stephen Espinosa saying that they originally configured the arena for 9,000, but had to add an additional, you know, like 3,400. The place was loud. It was sold out. And I couldn't believe how many fans were in the uh, arena for Javante Davis. He was the first fight of the night, and he really impressed me. I mean, a lot of people want to get on Javante Davis because. He signed with Floyd Mayweather, and he put on a terrible performance on the Mayweather-McGregor uh, undercard where he could have really capitalized on a huge opportunity, came in overweight, you know, had that that rabid punch behind the neck. Just really bad performance, Javante Davis, back in August. But it seems like, and I actually want to give him credit here for it, it seems like he took his career back, and taking it more seriously, and you saw it, man, in the ring when he just took out uh, Cuellar. I mean, he nasty body attack. 35% of his landed punches were to the body. I mean, he was super quick in there. I mean, Cuellar obviously has passed his prime a little bit, but I was really impressed with Javante Davis. First fight of the night, second round knockout, got him out of there. And uh, he said afterwards that, you know, maybe Lomachenko is not really, I'm not really ready if he didn't say it in so many words, but maybe not Lomachenko. Give me the winner of Billy Dibb. And uh, who am I forgetting? Who's Billy Dibb fighting? Billy Dibb. Somebody. Anybody. Bueller. We're going to move on. But Charlo got into the ring next, and he was explosive, man. I mean, oh, I know he's fighting. Tevin Farmer. Tevin Farmer, Billy Dibb, was made uh, this past weekend. And then the winner of that is obviously going to fight Javante Davis. And we all want to see Tarver, uh, um, Devin Farmer versus Javante Davis all over the place right now. Maybe I'm a little high from all the uh, the smoke that was in the Barclays Center. But uh, then we moved on to uh, Jamel, uh, Jamel Charlo. He looked f amazing. I mean, second round knockout. I mean, the left hook come from hell that sent uh, Centeno flying. I mean, that fight ended. He barely even broke a sweat before that one was over. So you had the first two fights over within an hour or even less at the Barclays Center, which gave me a lot of time to go into the back area, uh, check out, see if there's anything going on. I like to do that for you fans here because this is the show for the fans. Not as much beef as I thought there would be. Uh, the, the Barclays did a really good job of keeping that back area clear. It wasn't like you didn't have Danny Jacobs walking around talking trash to a Charlo. You didn't have uh, 50 Cent. or oh, I did see 50 Cent. You didn't have his whole crew walking around. You didn't have the, all the fighters mixing it up in that back area. Uh, that's because of all the, the gang-related uh, stuff and all the, the uh, antics 
supposedly there was a gunshot that went off. I read a, f a few reports. No one could confirm it. You know, I was talking to a few reporters after the fight. You know, they said that they they heard about it. They didn't actually hear the gunshot, but no one denied it and no one confirmed it. But no one got hurt. Uh, but it was a weird weekend in in the in the Barclays Center, and you got to think that maybe Showtime or, or PBC or the powers that be aren't going to put Broner Charlo on the same card moving forward. I mean, there's too much headaches. I mean, you look look on the faces of everyone behind the scenes. You know, the the Lou DiBella and his staff, and the PBC and their staff, they looked exhausted when that fight when that this card was over. They were just happy that everything went off smoothly. The fights were good. But uh, they have to think twice about, um, you know, how they do their matchmaking. That brought us to our main event of the evening, Adrian Broner, Jesse Vargas. Really exciting fight. Really like a tale of two fights. Vargas came out hot out of the gate. He was throwing his jab. He was really making that, like, a factor early on. Look at this. Vargas outlanded Broner in rounds 1 through 6, 124 to 82. Around the fifth or sixth round, I was like, wow, is this it? Is this the last we're going to see of Adrian Broner in a huge fight? Because he did not come out throwing his hands. He said all week long that he was going to see a new Adrian Broner with his new uh, trainer, Kevin Cunningham. But it was the same AB. It was the, you saw the same AB with the shoulder roll, you know, throwing one or two punches, you know, shaking his head that you didn't hit me, which everyone knows means that you did hurt me. And then came, you know, round seven through 12, where Broner outlanded Vargas 112 to 79. And look at the power department, 99 to 56, around 7 through 12. And ultimately, it ended in a draw. I mean, you could have uh, had this for Broner. You could have had it for Vargas. I think a draw was fair. And then afterwards, I mean, uh, we'll talk about it a little later in our tough takes. But uh, Jim Gray got into the ring, and Adrian Broner, of course, is just he's just a fool. Let's just call it what he is. The guy's a clown. He knows he is. Because he, he gets the microphone, he tells Jesse Vargas that he beat his ass and, you know, he's throwing out all these derogatory terms and just making a fool of himself. And then you see him come out of the ring, he came right to our area, ringside, and he's hugging Jesse Vargas and he's saying we're cool. He just puts on a show. Like, if you can just separate the fact that Adrian Broner with a mic in his hand is really not anything like Adrian Broner without the cameras rolling. I mean, but you know what? It was a sold-out arena. I would not be surprised if Showtime scores one of their, their highest ratings of the year because people are enamored with Adrian Broner for some reason, despite the fact that he's maybe a B-plus fighter at this point in his career. But, you know, we're going to see a rematch. I mean, that version of Adrian Broner I don't think beats a lot of guys in his division. I mean, I would have liked to have seen what he could have done against Figueroa, but you got to give your hat, you got to tip your hat to Jesse Vargas because that dude is tough as nails. I mean, he put on, he took some, he was eating huge shots down the stretch and they came over. Uh, they put us. Uh, they put the two fighters right behind our setup afterwards, and you can. I was just looking at Vargas's face from really up close. I mean, he was literally. If you watch the Showtime uh, replay, you can see me afterwards. They were literally in my grill, and I got a very good look at Jesse Vargas's face, and it was completely bruised up. And he went to the hospital, but uh, it was a great weekend of fights there at the Barclays Center. A tense, tense atmosphere. A lot of weed in the air. I mean, everyone and their mother was smoking at the Barclays Center. Uh, we got some other news and notes here. Canelo, uh, I think you've heard of him. Canelo Alvarez suspended for living under a rock. You know that he took clenbuterol, failed two drug tests, and it was a long, drawn-out uh, scenario where he ultimately pulled out of the fight with Triple G. But now the Nevada State Commission has finally had their ruling. Uh, they say that Canelo suspended for just only six months. Uh, people lost their mind on Twitter about that. They think that they were being uh, super easy on Canelo. 
the fact that Canelo uh, cooperated, you know, and he didn't uh, exactly fight it, they gave him a six-month no fine either. But, you know, if you look on the flip side of things, and this is a, this is a great point, that, you know, the fact that he can only fight one time now in 2018, which will be in September, probably against Triple G, he, was, he lost out on $20 million. You know, Canelo makes $20 million now when he walks into the ring, upwards of that amount. So, you, yeah, he didn't have a, a fine. He got suspended for six months, but now he can't fight in May. He loses $20 bucks. and that's a, that's a pretty big fine uh, for Canelo Alvarez. But it looks like Triple G is going to be finding Vanny's Mars. I'm not even going to try to say this guy's last name, but you all know uh, who he is. They're fighting on May 5th, and it just came across Twitter uh, that uh, Chocolatito will be back in action. He's going to fight a 10-rounder. He's going to fight on the undercard. He's fought How many times has he fought on, uh, on Triple G's... Uh, Undercard, so we're gonna see him back in the ring. Uh, Chocolatito will fight Pedro Guevara in a ten rounder. Uh, we'll see if Chocolatito has anything uh, left in the tank. But it was a great week for boxing, a really busy one, a lot of going on. And the upcoming is even more. We got this weekend with Danny Jacobs taking on Suleki. Uh, that's gonna be at the Barclays Center. We'll be at ringside once again. We got Big Baby Jarrell Miller, uh, the three minute interview guy. He'll be doing. He'll be fighting uh, Duhapis. Hopefully, uh, Jarrell's more interested in his fight than he was for the interview he did with us. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this one. It was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, but uh, more coming your way here on Inside Boxing Live. Jared Heard, Jarrell Miller, a new Tough Takes. You're not going to want to miss this one in case you missed it. And more coming up next. All right, before we get to Jarrell Miller, we're going to talk to you about Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle's is located on 35th Street and 7th Avenue, right in the heart of uh, Manhattan. It's a great place to catch a game, catch the fight. Uh, just go in there and for trivia night. You can do anything you want in there. Jack Doyle's is a great place. Tell them the Inside Boxing Live crew sent you. Uh, right now, we're joined by big baby Jarrell Miller, a busy man. Uh, he gets ready to fight on HBO this weekend at the Barclays Center. Uh, Jarrell, thank you for taking some time to join us here on Inside Boxing Live. I uh, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, Johan Duhapis, that's your opponent here. Uh, what do you know about them? And uh, I f- feel like they're just feeding you these tall European guys. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, he's uh, decent, durable. He's taking a, he take a, a beating, so I'm making sure April 28 he's going to take another beating. <laughs> Are you tired of all the weight questions? I feel like you get peppered with them. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, hey, it is what it is. I let them know what it is, and I'm a big guy. Um, you know, I can't help it. And uh, that's how I just handle my business. I go in there and I just dominate guys. What uh, what do you think you're gonna be coming in on uh, fight night? I'm not too sure, but uh, I'm gonna be close to 300. It's not over. But whatever it is, uh, I'll be great. Now uh, the, you're gonna be fighting in front of your Brooklyn people. Your last fight was at. Uh, Nassau Coliseum, but you're back at the Barclays Center. You're co- uh, you know, for, uh, in support of uh, Daniel Jacobs. How special is it for you to fight in front of the Brooklyn people? I mean, it's always, it's always good to be home and fight in front of Brooklyn. I mean, it's always it's a dream come true. Um, the main thing is being ready to be prepared and uh, on the show for the crowd. Now, I want to throw out some names here in the heavyweight division. I want you to uh, tell me what you think of each guy, some strengths and weaknesses for each guy. You ready? Correct. Tyson Fury. Uh, I'm glad he's back. I'm gonna knock him out. <laughs> what do you What do you think are his strengths? What I think about his strengths? Yeah. What do you think are his strengths? Ah, uh, he's long. He's rangy. Uh, but uh, and he can he's definitely talk. You know, so that's always good in uh You can appreciate a guy that talks, because you're a pretty good talker yourself. Yeah, most definitely. How about Dillian White? What do you like out of Dillian White? 
Oh, definitely not them out. Not a ticket seller. <laughs> not a ticket seller? <laughs> not really a big ticket seller, no. Okay, all right. I'm not going to move on to the big boys. Deontay Wilder. Oh, definitely knocking them out. The, wind, the windmill definitely got to take, 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 uh, sit down. I'm reading about some type of beef. You got a beef with Deontay Wilder? All right, family man. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Did you got a beef with Deontay Wilder? No, nah, there ain't no beef. I mean, for me, it ain't, you know, beef is completely competition, but, you know, when it comes to boxing, I'm going to knock them out. So you're you're pretty content. You're gonna knock out all these guys. I'm not gonna even get to Anthony Joshua next. I know what the answer is gonna be. You're gonna knock out Anthony Joshua too, right? Yeah, sir. I said I don't even have to get to the next guy because you seem like you want to knock everyone out. So I assume hey. your answer for Anthony Joshua is a knockout. Oh, I'm knocking him out before five. <laughs> oh, so making the six. Oh wow, six rounds with Anthony Joshua. Um. You know, obviously, there's a lot of uh, rumors out there that if you win this fight, you know, you're going to fight Anthony Joshua uh, in August at the Barclays Center. Do you think that adds more pressure for your performance? No, no. You know, when it comes to me fighting, I do what I do best, and I'm going to go in there and win. That ain't necessary. The main thing is getting a win and move on to the next. Did uh, did Eddie Hearn read out, reach out to you? I know he's obviously your promoter, but were there any talks about potentially no, fighting? No, obviously, obviously, no, 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 no. Obviously, he's not my promoter. That's the thing. You got the media guys don't do your homework. You got to just read more articles. That's right. Eddie Hearn is not my promoter. Who's your promoter? You know what I mean, so we should put that in. Yes, nobody's my promoter. I have a partner with the team. I'm my own promoter. I'm Big Baby Promotions, and I have a partnership, a promotional uh, partnership with Salida Promotions. Gotcha. So I'm my own promoter. So. Oh. I'm not your average fighter. Not your average fighter. Yeah. I gotta go though. You gotta yeah. go. All Appreciate right. All right. All that's right. that's yeah. Jerrell Miller. Thanks, buddy. Jerrell Miller in a rush. He must be uh, a busy guy. He only gave us five minutes, but we learned that he's his own promoter. So uh, one thing he should learn about boxing is that if you want to be a uh, big boxer, you gotta go out and do media obligations. So <laughs> thanks to Jerrell Miller for three and a half minutes of his time, and uh, we'll move forward here with Inside Boxing Live. Busy weekend of fights we had here in uh, Brooklyn, all over the world, really, and a lot of news and notes to get you all caught up for, so here is this week's In Case You Missed It. Uh, let's start off with Mikey Garcia, a guy that's very hard to track down, because I tried to get him on the show uh, numerous times, but he promised he'll come on down the road. But even keeping track of Mikey Garcia, which which weight he's going to fight at, well, who he wants to fight. Last week he wants to fight Godzilla, this week he wants to fight er Errol Spence, but it looks like Mikey Garcia... He's going to give up his belt at 140, and he's going to defend at 135. Most likely, we're going to see him fighting against Robert Easter, uh, maybe sometime in the summer, which really, uh, from a physical standpoint, aesthetically, that is just a hilarious uh, stare down that's going to be because Mikey Garcia is no taller than 5'8", uh, 5'9", five, five, and you know, Easter is like 6'2". So that, that fight's going to be awesome, and it's going to be a unification bout at 135. So Mikey Garcia giving up the belt at 140. Uh, to stay at 135 and uh, see what he can do there. Moving forward, you see this. Uh, Creed 2 uh, just started shooting uh, their movie there in Philly. They were spotted on the uh, UPenn campus. All the uh, students were going crazy. Michael B. Jordan, Sylvester Stallone, the whole the whole cast from uh, the really awesome first movie in Creed. But I, I don't know how I feel about uh, Creed 2 because Ryan Coogler who uh, obviously did Black Panther and the, the first uh, Creed movie, as well as some other really awesome movies. Fruitvale Station was a really good one. Uh, he's not involved with this movie. He's not directing this one. Uh, so it's, it's Sylvester Stallone, who's no slouch. I mean, he knows a thing or two about uh, making Rocky movies. 
But uh, it should be interesting. I think in this movie, Michael B. Jordan's character, obviously the son of Adonis Creed, is going up against Drago's son. So, uh, you know, only in, uh, only in Hollywood can we uh, make these matchups. But Creed 2, we're going to see it uh, soon in theaters. This one is a weird one. This is, is Manny Pacquiao. All the headlines coming out of Manny Pacquiao lately are very odd. Uh, I mean, he's fighting in Malaysia against uh, Lucas Matisse in July. But look at this one. Manny Pacquiao is moving forward with his own cryptocurrency. I mean, it's all the rage right now. Uh, Floyd Mayweather has his own one, so Pacquiao goes, I have to have my own Bitcoin. I mean, I wake up, when I woke up this morning, I was like, man, I have to get some Pacquiao coin in my pocket. So uh, Manny Pacquiao is, at this point of his career, where he's going to the highest bidder. He's fighting in, you know, obscure countries. He is uh, making business decisions that aren't popular. He's uh, broken up, or is he broken up with Freddie Roach? Uh, is Boo Boy going to be in, in his camp? So uh, Manny Pacquiao all over the map, and we, one thing we know about Pacquiao is he likes to make money. And I read uh, when I was reading the article on this cryptocurrency uh, deal, it said that Pacquiao's net worth in boxing is $510 million that he made during his career. And you still see reports of him either being bankrupt or being close to it. So it's amazing how much money this guy blew through. But uh, if you're interested in uh, getting some Bitcoin with Pacquiao's face on it, it might be coming to you uh, very shortly. Uh, how about this? Uh, Sergey Kovalev and uh, Marcus Brown fight is off. Uh, Marcus Brown got into a little bit of uh, legal uh, problems here. Domestic uh, dispute with his, uh, I think it was his girlfriend or significant other. Uh, two arrests in like a month span. And uh, Main Events pulled the plug on it. And it was interesting because I saw a tweet. It was like, did, you know, obviously Main Events is run by Kathy Duva and a lot of women. You know, did they feel a little slighted by this that they didn't want to be in business with a guy that uh, potentially struck a woman. So that was one uh, thing out there that people were talking about. But um, either way, that fight is off, and it looks like uh, Elider Alvarez, who has been a mandatory for Kovalev for quite some time now, will get the call. That's actually a better fight, in my opinion. Um, Alvarez is a tall, rangy guy, and he'll be going up against Kovalev probably in the summer. And uh, Kovalev has fought his last maybe three fights outside of the Ward fight. Uh, at the theater at Madison Square Garden, so that's probably a front runner uh, for that one. Uh, Bob Arum is in the news every single week, so we have to highlight it here. And in case you missed it, he says that uh, Frampton Valdez will not be uh, hard to make, which was uh, news to our ears. It feels like Top Rank has really stepped it up here in 2018. Whether it's their deal with ESPN or now their deal with ESPN Plus, uh, them picking up fights. The the uh, Con LaGreco fight was on ESPN Plus and. They made a strong push to get Triple G. I mean, Triple G was hanging there in the balance. They see that HBO is under some uh, financial issues, and ESPN's got deep pockets, and especially with the boxing. So they try to slide in there and steal Triple G and put him on ESPN on May 5th. And HBO was like, oh, whoa, whoa, hold up here. You know, Triple G is our guy, and we have enough money to put that fight on. But uh, Bob Arum says that Frampton Valdez is a fight that we can see. Obviously, Frampton uh, fought over the weekend. Uh, picked up a nice win over Nonito Donaire. Valdez uh, had an absolute war with Scott Quigg. Last time we saw Valdez, he was on a stretcher with a broken jaw and a broken hand. I think everyone wants to see Valdez fight again. And Frampton Valdez, you know, where do I sign for that one? That is just fireworks. And we could potentially seeing it on ESPN uh, at the end of the year and what has been an awesome year for boxing. Uh, and then lastly, Nick, we got a HBO boxing training truck. 
If you're in the Dumbo area this week, <laughs> I don't know how many of our listeners live in Dumbo. If you do, then uh, good for you. You made a lot of good decisions in life. But they're driving around this HBO boxing truck with Danny Jacobs' face on it. As we know, Danny Jacobs is from uh, Brooklyn, New York. And they're giving out free boxing lessons to kids. They are uh, giving out uh, school supplies. And I think it's pretty cool because uh, HBO and Danny Jacobs had to be a little creative with their marketing. I live in Brooklyn, so I see his, his posters are everywhere. He's got a huge billboard outside the Barclays Center. And he has a, a pretty big fight coming up this Saturday at Barclays against Sulecki, who a lot of people are, are saying are, it's going to be a sneaky good fight. I mean, he's a guy that fought most of his career at 154, making the move up. Uh, to 160 to face off with Jacobs, and Jacobs said it himself that this guy is not uh, Luis Arias. You know he's going to come to fight, and it's going to be a sneaky, sneaky good fight at uh, Barclays on Saturday night. But there it is. In case you missed it, we're trying to keep you up to date here on Inside Boxing Live. Before we get to our interview with Jared Hurd, I want to talk to you about Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle's is located on 35th Street and 7th Avenue, right in the heart of Manhattan, just a few steps away from Madison Square Garden. Uh, go in there, and uh, they got two floors. they got drink specials. Uh, they have a great staff there. Uh, tell them that the Inside Boxing Live crew sent you, and they will uh, take care of you. And with that, we'll bring in uh, here the Jared Hurd, uh, one of the hottest fighters in the game right now. Jared, thank you for taking some time with us here on Inside Boxing Live. Now, I saw you out at the fights on uh, Saturday at the Barclays Center before the fights kicked off. Uh, we were talking a little bit. Uh, what would you make of the fights? It was some uh, pretty explosive uh, night of action there at the Barclays Center. Yeah, it was a great call, man. You know, uh ended up to what I thought it would be. Um, some great knockouts. And, uh, you know, in the main event, was nice, too. Now, you were a guy that's fought at the Barclays Center uh, a couple times. Uh, what's that experience like, and do you enjoy performing in front of the, the New York crowd? Yeah, man, that crowd, you know, um, big arena. It holds a lot of, you can feel the energy when you're in there. And uh, I love fighting at the Barclays Center. It's on the East Coast on my side. Hmm. Um, so a lot of fans have come up from um, here in Maryland, and I love it. Do, do fighters like feed off off of of the the crowd when you hear the crowd and they're chanting your name or it's a big round and they're cheering or or the booze on the other hand do you do fighters actually like hear that and does it motivate you more in the middle of a round? Uh, I'm not sure of all fighters, but for me, you know, it does give me a little motivation when I hear the crowd give the chant Swift, Swift, Swift. <laughs> yeah. That's good stuff. We're talking with Jared Hurd right now on Inside Boxing Live. Now, your amateur career is something that is a little unconventional. Uh, you weren't like a decorated amateur. I think you had a 32-8 and eight, uh, a record. You weren't a prize prospect, but there was a, a promoter along the way who saw you down uh, in Maryland, and he saw something in you. Uh, talk a little about your, your come up here, uh, getting to the top of the game now, uh, a unified world champion, but bring us back to when you were a prospect and how hard it was it for you uh, to get noticed. Uh, it was pretty hard, you know. Like you said, I did have a big amateur career, and um, you know, turned professional. That people was afraid if I was going to be able to sell tickets, or you know, um, if I had a friend from the style that people wanted to see. And um, Ross Malavinsky, who was Keystone Promotion. Uh, you know, he gave me an opportunity, gave me a chance to put him on the car on the car, and he was surprised. Man. So I think I, if not the most second most tickets that night uh, for my professional debut, and I only had me on there, and I got a first round knockout. And then, um, you know, ever since then, I, I became the 
most fighter that keeps the most has ever had on the card. I still hold the record today. And they always just call him back. And, um, <laughs> you know, at, at the end of the day, I was, I, we, time I just wanted to be a guy you know, working towards becoming the main event on Keystone Car, I never expected world titles and things like that. I never looked that far. And, you know, eventually be stopped coming to the main event. And, you know, and I start setting other goals, like maybe I can have a fight out of town. Maybe I can have one out of town. So we start having fights out of town. And eventually I said, maybe we can get signed. We wanted to get signed to, um, our goal was always get signed to Al Heyman. And, uh, you know, I had a videographer named Chris Watson who, recorded me and all my fights, you know, put them on YouTube. So he got him to put a get together video and he sent it out to Al Heyman. Man, he loved me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the rest is history. Opportunity. Yeah. Man, uh, what is it like to get that call from, from Al Heyman saying he wants to sign you to his roster? Uh, <laughs> you know, on the phone, when I'm on the phone, I'm all calm and collective, but you know, like, as we hang up, I'm saying, all right, thank you for him. And I talk to you. I appreciate this opportunity. Hang up the phone, man. We get jumping around the gym, running around. That's awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, um, take us back uh, to the Lara fight. And it's a fight that was uh, very big in your career. And it was a great fight, back and forth, a lot of action. Go to the 12th round. Did you think you needed that knockdown? It was on your card. Did you think you needed it to, to get the win? No. And uh, I feel like me or my my team, my corner, then we felt like we was up for the car. We we had, we knew we had to fight the bag. But see, that's the that's what that's the difference between I feel that makes a fighter who they are. Um, I look at Adrian Bonner uh, fight the other day. Uh, he he was to me. I feel like he was up on the car. In eleventh round, he finished real strong, and he was out there in the twelfth round. And took off. He didn't go out there and, and, and fight, finish strong. And I feel Jesse Vargas won that last round. And, and him winning that last round gave Jesse Vargas and Adrian Bond a draw. Now, with me, I feel like I was up my power as very long. And, and, and I remember Ernesto grabbed me by my face and <laughs> saying, You are the unified champion. You are the unified champion. We'll squad here and finish this round. But the mentality I have, I went out there and said, Man, I'm going to close the show. So I went on the 12th round going for the knockout. And I got the knockdown. And the knockdown was the side factor of the fight. Now, if I went out there with the mindset that I ate the ball and just took off the round, I would have, if, if Law would have won it, I could have lost. Or if I would have won, I would have had to draw. But because I went out there with the mentality, I had got knocked down. He gave me the fight. Yeah, you, let, you left it all on the line. I think, I'm think i not sure if it was the 10th or the 11th round. We had copy box. You threw something like 90 punches. And that just alludes to what you just said, where... You know, there's a lot of times in these championship rounds, the 10th, 11th, 12th round, where a fighter thinks they have it in the bag. I mean, Jesse Vargas said it. Adrian Broner said it. I thought I, I had this fight won, so I, I took my foot off the pedal. Is that something that you take pride on, is, you know, throwing a lot of punches in every round, even if it's the 10th or 11th round? Uh, well, not so much as you're throwing a lot of punches. You know, it's just making sure you're staying busy, um, especially in a fight with a guy like Lauer. If you sit there and allow him to, think and, and give him time, that's when he's at his best. So we wanted to stay busy, stay busy, stay busy with, you know, um, give him no time to think. Why do you think he didn't move as much? Um, when we watch Eric uh, Landy Lara fight, he's a guy that's very slick. He's the Cuban style. He's in and he's out. With you, it's felt like he was 
you know, kind of staying in the pocket a little more up against the ropes. Do you think that's because of your size and your sheer volume, or do you think that, you know, maybe he wasn't at his best that night? I think it had to do with two things. Uh, one, for me, cutting off the ring. And two, I think he, he kind of figured him running all night wouldn't have been a good idea. He wanted to kind of prove that he could stay there with me a little. Mm-hmm. But I think mostly it was more me cutting off the ring and uh, him him saying I'm not going to be here. I'm not here to run. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay here and fight too. Do you have trouble getting down to 154 pounds? I saw you on Saturday. You're a big guy. I mean, I can't believe that you get down to 154. Do you see yourself moving up one day, or do you want to settle in a little more, have a nice extended run here at 154? Uh, we're going to definitely stay here and settle in. You know, I'm trying. I'm, um, if, if it's God willing, I can run through my the entire division. You know, become undisputed. You know, but if not, we're going to stay down here and fight for, you know, a while. Um, but moving up is definitely in the picture also. Moving up to 160, I'm not sure if I ever go to 68, but <laughs> we're definitely going to move the way. Well, I have to ask you the question that, that's, that's obvious here is is, is, is Jamel Charlo, 154-pound, the other champion in the division. That's a, a fight that everyone wants to see. It's a fight that we can you know, see be made with the politics of boxing, both you under Al Heyman. In on Showtime, uh, what do you think of the Charlos? Are you cool with them, or, or do you, I know they're they're starting to make a name for themselves, and uh, that's obviously a fight that you want. Cool with them, no, <laughs> but something personal against them. That's all. Uh, that's also no. You know, they just they're just in my weight division, and um, they they're definitely guys that 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 the world want to see me face. That's the mega fight. That's my um, that's my Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao fight right now, and. And that's the fight that we want also. But you know, um we we we're not we don't want to rush into it. I just came off a camp with two southpaws. Um and uh you know, we want to get some right hand fights under my belt. But one thing we my team always talk about, we will not be moving up before that Demel Charlo fight happens. Wow. So it's definitely gonna happen. It's not gonna happen, um, you know, my next fight, maybe getting another fight in after that. But it's gonna happen. Sooner than later. Yeah, that's one thing about you that the fans like is your style is is very mm-hmm. uh, TV friendly and the fact that you will not back down from anybody. But how does it work? Like after you you beat Arizendi Lara, do you call up Al Heyman or you call up his people and say I want Charlo? Do they come to you with with options? I always wondered how uh, these fights do get made. Yeah, it, they they call and um, you know they ask me who we like to fight or the names we would like. We throw a few names out there, you know. He he would say, uh, you know, semantics. You're out there. That's a good fight. If that guy is so and so, well, he'll say, well, if you like a fight with him, then this, that, and the other. But he he gives us a leverage to you know pick the opponents, and uh, you know he he lets me know if it's a good idea or not, or he think if the fight can be made. I read an article saying that your mother wanted you to set she was going to give you five years as a pro for you to, to make something. And then look what you did. In three years, you became one of the unified uh, Super Walterweight champions. So did you tell your mom, like, hey, listen, mom, I'm going to be doing this thing for a while now? Yeah, and I, it's, it's, it's crazy because not only did my mom give me until I was 25, I turned professional at 22. Not only did she give me until I was 25, um, Ernesto told me on my when I had 20 fights under my belt, I said, be fighting for the world title. And that's exactly when I fought for, for my, on my 20th fight. So it's almost like, man, we playing this thing straight like, through perfectly. And, hmm. you know, my mother told me that when you, when you fight for your 20 fight, 20th fight, uh, 
you should be known if you whether you want to do this for a career or not. But when I was 25, I mean 26, actually, I won a world champion. Wow. Mothers know best. Is that right? Exactly. <laughs> I want to talk about your, your, your coming out party here. In 2016, I thought this was pretty interesting. You fought on the Keith uh, Thurman, Sean Porter card. Uh, that was a big fight on CBS, and you were scheduled to fight on the untelevised undercard, but then Abner Maris got an eye injury. Next thing you know, you're fighting on CBS in front of a huge audience. Were you nervous before that? Take us back to that experience. Uh, nerves, always, always nervous, but it's always good nerves. It's, it's like uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to go fighting back when I was um, – Supposed to fight Frank Galazza, mm -hmm. you know Gary Russell was supposed to be in the main event, and so he had suffered a hand injury, and it made me and Frank Galazza on Showbox the main event. And I just feel when those opportunities come, you can't allow your nerves and, and things like that to take over. You got you know what you got to do out there. You can't let the crowd get your head. And then and that's one thing with me, me being the personality I have. I'm a real relaxed and uh, you know easy guy so it's hard for me to for uh, people to get under my skin and, and, and let my emotions take over. I think that's one of the traits that I produce that's real, very well when I get put in these opportunities and, and on these stages I don't let it get overwhelmed and it goes our damn show and the fight with um, Oscar Molina I went out there in the first round you know and threw an uppercut and made ESPN top three you know those are things yeah, that uh, on the stage that big, I think that was a, a what fight of the year and the, you know the most tuned in fight. I forgot how many fights that was that 2016, but you know that opportunity like that, and I went out there wasn't supposed to be on TV and did something like that. It was amazing, man. That's the name of the game, making most of your opportunities, and no one has made more of their opportunities than you, uh, Jared Her. Before we let you go, your fight with Jamel Charlo, you say it's the, it's your Pacquiao Mayweather. Boxing fans all over the world want to see this. Do you have a message for Jamel Charlo? Because we know he's going to have a message for you. Yeah, Jamel Charlo. Keep running your mouth. That's all he's going to do. You know he's going to keep running your mouth. Right, yeah. Man. Jamel Charlo, he knows that where I'm at and now there's no one, no fighter here that I'm, I'm ducking. So he knows the fight's going to happen. I know he he's, he's, he's the guy that used to train with Arizona Lava and I feel um, you know, Lava speak on all the time I used to get off on Jamel Charlo and me beating someone that has, used to be his fellow teammate and in the fashion I did in it. I know he's worried now, so he doesn't have to worry about me going running anywhere and be right here for him. Love it. Love it. Jared Hurd, thank you very much for joining us here on Inside Boxing Live. We continue to root for you and looking forward to seeing you in the ring once again. Well, most definitely thank you. Back by popular demand, it's a segment we introduced last week here on the show. It's called Tough Takes. These are smoldering hot takes coming from me and my esteemed producer, my brother, uh, Nicholas Canobio. We'll bring him in right now. Nick, uh, how was your weekend? We were out at the Barclays Center checking out the fights. Uh, we smelled a busy. We smelled some potent, uh, some pungent uh, smells. Don't, don't say that. Yeah. We, uh, we saw some really good fights. We may have heard a gunshot, may have not heard a gunshot. Yeah. There was a, bit, a lot of beef this week, and it all subsided in the ring. Some great fights. We were rings lucky enough to be ringside once again. Yes, it was uh, an action-packed weekend of fights between Thursday's uh, Golden Boy on ESPN, and then we uh, we were live at, uh, at, at Barclays Center mm -hmm. for a triple header, the first two fights. Quick, quick, in and out. Those are good. And then uh, 
main event was good. It, it went the distance. Um, we would have hoped that it wouldn't, but it did, and uh, it was entertaining. Yeah, so uh, let's get to our takes here. And uh, I've been thinking all week about how what's, what I wanted to talk about here and observations. We watch a lot of boxing, uh, the two of us, whether it's big fights uh, at the Barclays Center and Matt Square Garden all across the country, and then there's the smaller cards on Estrella and Golden Boy, which provide laughs. And Estrella they, is always entertaining. Yes, they, they provide a lot of entertainment. They provide laughs and, and, and good fights, too. You know, not, yeah. Let's not take away from that. But here it is. My first tough take of the week is Uppercut Guy. Go to any major boxing event, uh, any my, any club show. Go to a, a Debella club show at uh, you can't even go to BB Kings anymore because they're closing it down. Yeah. Story for another day. But there's always one guy in the uh, in the crowd that just is screaming nothing but uppercut. Uppercut! Yo, why aren't you throwing the uppercut? It's there! It's there! Uppercut! Every every fight is that one guy who doesn't know what a jab is, doesn't know what a hook is. But according to him, the uppercut will land 100 times out of 100. Yeah, that the, they're always more present in the uh, the smaller cards because you can hear them more. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the smaller cards tend to attract, you know, smaller ticket prices. So you're going to have those experts that, that think they know the yeah, sport. Yeah, they're like they're armchair right. quarterbacks. Right. But the only thing they yell is, is uppercut. Uppercut. Just, I've been hearing it for 20 years, and they never listen. And no. do you think the fighters can actually hear that? Well, in, in the cases of the first couple of fights of the night when there's six people, yeah, that's all you hear. But, but you know, you have coaches for that. Yeah, so we got a silence uppercut guy. Yeah, silence uppercut guy. What do you got? So we were at Barclays Center uh, Saturday, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I also promote – uh, MMA, so I, I know how to put a show on. Triton and usually, fights. Triton fights, plug. And uh, I know how to put a show on, and what we do in our, our venue is we have a little smoke machine that kind of <laughs> fills the area with smoke. And So does Barclays. And, uh, you know, you get that aura of an old-school fight. And yeah. uh, Barclays Center doesn't need to have that machine because they have – Probably a couple thousand people passing around joints of weed and uh, joints of weed, joints of weed, and uh, you know they. <laughs> it fills up the it fills up yeah. the arena. And it was interesting this week because uh, it was like usually you go to Barclays Center, you're gonna smell weed, and it's usually like towards the main event, like right before it goes off, or like in the middle of the main event, depending how good the fight is. The Lara fight last time we were there, there's that was the only thing that got yeah. people through that fight was smoking some weed, but. This fight this past weekend, right when we got in the door at like seven o'clock, it stunk in there. I think they may maybe pump it through the the vents. I mean, given everything that was going on this week, it was all the it was more security in the Barclays Center. There was cops. There were plainclothes cops. There was uh, thoughts of uh, talks of um, gang violence and yeah. all that. So you think maybe they were a little more fair with the weed smoking? Like, hey, you, you smoke all the joints of pot that you just said, and you joints guys can... Joints of weed. Joints of weed, and you guys can just, uh, you know, mellow out and not, you know, fight each other. What if what if you were, you, you know, you wanted to come to the fight, enjoy, enjoy a fight, and, uh, you know, come Monday, today, that today we're shooting it, what if uh, you had a, you know, a, a pop drug test at your, at your job? You can tell people that you ate a poppy seed bagel. What are you gonna do? It's like a it's like a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where uh, he has to explain that you know I, I wasn't smoking. I went to a, a Barclays Center and you know I'll people were smoking. This weekend at Barclays was was nuts for a lot of reasons and the fight week leading up to it. And then once you get in there, it always smells like weed. And maybe it's a question if we ever get Brett Yormark on the show, executive of uh, the Barclays Center Brooklyn Boxing. He'll be like, you guys gonna do anything to combat? I don't, the weed I don't think they can do anything, but. 
Pungent. I got one for you. Boxing needs to desperately redo the press conference format. I was watching the Broner press conference this past week. First of all, Broner was out of control during yeah. it. He had his headphones on. He's, like, dancing the whole time. He, then he turns over to LB, calls him uh, you-know-what, calls him every name under the sun, says you're not with me, gets into a fight with LRB. But, you know, as I was watching it, I was just, like, so bored with it. It's yeah. just an old-school approach that they've taken, you know. Have a personality host it. That's my first number one fix for here. I was at the, the Showtime event, the upfront they did at uh, in the city, and they had Charlemagne, you know, from uh, Power 105 Breakfast Club yeah. or whatever he's on. He hosted it. He brought some life to it. He brought some jokes. I understand that they, they can't um, bring in a guy like Charlemagne for every single fight, every single press conference, because these things add up. But find yeah. a local talent. You know, there's got to be someone out there that wants to host this stuff to bring a little more flair to it, keep it moving. Like, I'm sorry, Leonard LB. No one wants to hear you go on and on and on about the the accomplishments and the accolades of Steven Espinosa and Lou DiBella. I got one. Michael Rappaport. <laughs> Michael Rappaport. I'll text him he, right now. He's, uh, you know, he, 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 who do you have on his show uh, recently? He had the Charler Brothers. Yeah, on. you know, he could be good. He's a comedian. Maybe he can. They got to do something. They got to do something because it's getting. I think Top Rank kind of like redid it a little bit. Everyone's trying to be like the UFC. The UFC does it right, in my opinion. They have Rogan up there, who is a natural on a stage because he does the the stand up comedy. But they have like a dais where every all the fighters are on there. They all have microphones. They all can talk trash to each other. Well, Dana White too. He's just a, a he's natural, good at it too. natural uh, you know speaker, and he he's good with those. And he usually do the you know does the uh, press conferences and stuff. So you got to make it. You got to change it up. You got they're not showcasing the fighters' personalities. Where it looks like it's a chore for them. They look like they're dreaded. They sit there. They're almost half asleep. And then they, once they get up to the stage, they say some you know dried out response that they do every single time. And then it's more of Espinosa talking about you know the, the pie charts and the numbers which are great which is awesome i mean they have to do that but you know speed it up a little bit make it more entertaining and i think that it'll, it'll make fight week even more entertaining than it well, has yeah been. either either do that or don't do them at all well you guys what's the point i mean they gotta get the, the press have to talk to the fighters yeah but then you know do that you don't have to have it on on you know on camera and and all that you yeah. just do it just have press it's a press day if they feel the need to do them they have to make them more entertaining because they're they're a drag yeah what do you got uh, Jim Gray. What about him? Jim Gray. <laughs> Jim Gray. I mean, he's underappreciated. He's yes. underappreciated. I don't know if, if you saw, if you watched the Showtime fight at the end of the, uh, you know, the Broner fight, he he, uh, he he let it play out. Yeah. You know, I think it was Broner who tried to grab the mic. And that, that's wasn't the rule number it. one, yeah. never give up the mic. He wasn't having it. And then he let it play it out. He let them go back and forth WWE style, and uh, he, he just he stood in the background. So, you know, say what you want about Jim Gray, um, you know, but he, he did the right thing there. I like Jim Gray a lot. I feel like a lot of people have a problem with his, his abrasive style of questions and, you know, things he's done in his career. He has He's had a few moments, you know, the Pete Rose moment on the field asking him, you know, do you think you'll ever get into the Hall of Fame at an All-Star game? People had a problem with that. But he has... He's perfectly fit for boxing because when he's in the ring after a fight, it's a really hard job. And me and you were back at, backstage at Barclays and we were talking to Raul Marquez. Yeah. And he was telling us, man, like you guys do the copy box, that's like super hard. And, like it was nice to hear someone say that that you know how hard it is to do yeah. because everyone thinks it's easy. Then I said to him, like everyone thinks that you can do TV, like you can just stand up there and talk about fights. Yeah. It's super hard, and it got me thinking about uh, Jim Gray. Like it's a really hard job to go in there after the fight is over. 
you know, talk to these guys who just for 36 minutes have been giving it their all, fighting, literally in their fighting. And I think that when he retires, Jim Greer, he moves on from Showtime. He, and he's going to the Hall of Fame this summer, rightfully. I think he belongs there. The guy's part of boxing. Yeah. And uh, this weekend, I thought, was a really strong performance from Jim Gray. Having a deal with Broner is not easy. And he let Broner go off a little bit. He had some good comebacks about his tailor or something. And I thought, all in all, <laughs> Jim Gray needs to get a little more appreciated here. So I know people like to get on him. But, you know, the guy's a, is a, a consummate pro. Yes, Jim Gray. That's it. That's all we got. Those are our tough takes. If you have any takes you want to share with us, please send them our way at CompuBox, and we'll sort of feature you here on Inside Boxing Live. All right, that's a wrap on this episode of Inside Boxing Live. I have to thank our guests, Jared Hurd and Jarrell Miller, for joining us on the program, as well as our sponsors, Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Download this podcast on iTunes by searching Inside Boxing Live, and also you can get this, uh, this podcast on the OG podcast network and anywhere you pretty much get uh, your podcast you can check us out we'll see you next week for another edition of inside boxing life